April 5th, 2020. Vince McMahon holds his 36th annual banner event this weekend, but no one's there to watch it. Is it even WrestleMania at this point? We're going to talk about the influence of the show Married with Children on its 33rd anniversary. Going to go across the lines with Joe Exotic and President Dirty Dick Little Hands, Donald Trump. Across the country and around the world, across the street and around the corner, this is Over the Culture. podcast where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like viruses named after beer. We drank Crown over here, cuz. What's up, everybody? I am your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Alex Treblack, Pat Stay Black, Luke Flytalker, Reefer Sutherland, Sir Blunt Smokington, the most interesting blurred in podcasting, the social distancing consultant, Steve G. And this is over the culture. <sighs> You ever watch Judge Judy and just be like, man, I wonder what she got on under that robe. I bet it's nothing sometimes. I bet she wear black panties too. Or nothing sometimes. Ooh, Judge Judy, you keep making them faces like you want to do something. I bet you be making them nice fuck faces too. You ever think about that? Uh, nah, me either, nah. Day 15 of quarantine be like. Anyways, we're back for another episode of Over the Culture Podcasting here in the great state of Ohio. Ohio! And the coronavirus is not going away anytime soon. I'm kind of liking this quarantine. I've prepared my whole adult life for this staying away from people and the law tells me I need to stay the fuck away from people thank you law fuck you law this shit is serious all jokes and memes aside it is taking over the globe not just the nation not just your town not just your municipality the globe the world planet earth Cases have racked up into the hundreds of thousands. The death count is in the thousands, tens of thousands worldwide at this point. A list of celebrities who have them or who have it. Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Prince Charles, Rand Paul, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. 
Idris Elba, Rachel Matthews, Charlotte Lawrence, Daniel Day Kim, Colton Underwood, Andy Cohen, Debbie Mazar, David Bryan, Placido Domingo, Slim Thug, Jackson Brown, Laura Bell Bundy, Terrence McNally, Mark Bloom, the rapper Scarface, Doris Burke, Adam Schlesinger, Wallace Roney, Brian Stokes Mitchell, Ellis Marsalis Jr., Rest in Paradise, Ali Wentworth, YNW Melly, Sarah Boreas, Julie Bennett, Christopher Cross, Pink, Marianne Faithful, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, Christian Wood, Kevin BDB Durant, Sean Payton, Marcus Smart, Jason Collins, Patrick McEnroe, James Dolan, Harvey Weinstein, Jeff Schell, And the list is continuing to grow. People, please, let's take care of ourselves so that we can take care of each other. Let's keep ourselves clean and quarantined. Keep our hands washed. Keep our asses washed. Keep some gloves on our hands if they're available. If we can afford gloves, some cheap rubber gloves. Let's keep our hands covered. Let's stay protected, people. Let's get some masks, some makeshift masks. Even if you have to strap your girl's tampons to your face, her, her, her maxi pads to your face, then so be it. They say it can be in the air. You don't even need it. It's, it's airborne. You can get it from just breathing. This is insane, people. Here we are, no NBA, no NFL, no MLB, no sports. No sports entertainment. The sports entertainment that we do have is watered down. It's not the same. The audience is just as much of an integral part of a sports entertainment production as much as the performers. When I watch Raw, when I watch any of these WWE, WWF pay-per-views, you see the crowds going off, being crazy. Makes you want to be there. And I watched yesterday's edition, the Saturday edition, the first part of the WrestleMania 36, and damn it, it is lackluster. I mean, for what it's worth, the matches themselves aren't bad, but just the fact that we don't have an audience. It's the WrestleMania, the banner event of wrestling every year. It's been that way for the past 30 plus years. And when they kick off that event, you're used to seeing the pyrotechnics, the fireworks, the explosions, all of that, all of that, the Titantron, the music blaring, the crowd is there. Damn near 100,000 people, hundreds of thousands of people. In this year's WrestleMania, no one. But the wrestlers, the referee, and the crew in commentary. 
So, for what it's worth, the first night went like this. Saturday night's edition of WrestleMania 36. Cesaro defeated Drew Gulak. Spoiler alert, I should have said that ahead of time. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross defeated the Kabuki Warriors. And now they are the tag team, the women's tag team champs. Elias defeated King Corbin. Becky Lynch defeated Shayna Baszler. Sami Zayn defeated uh, Daniel Bryan for the Intercontinental Championship. John Morrison defeated Jimmy Uso and Kofi Kingston in the Triple Threat Ladder Match for the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championship. Kevin Owens defeated Seth Rollins in a no disqualification match. Braun Strowman defeated Goldberg for his first Universal Championship. And it was done in two minutes and 10 seconds. Goldberg, please hang it up. I love you, Goldberg. I love the idea of the Goldberg character. Who's next? I was a huge fan back in the 90s. I look forward to the undefeated streak. And then the streak, we just jumped the shark at some point. I think around the time we hit 115, 116, I just kind of lost interest. But I still love the Goldberg character. Uh, he's an important part of wrestling history. Uh, here we are uh, almost 30 years later and he's came back. He's left. He's came back and he's left and he's back and he needs to just hang it up. Uh, if you want to be involved in the wrestling environment, you should take on another role. I'm sure Vince will have no problem giving you a suit and tie kind of job. But Goldberg is not the same Goldberg. Love you though, bruh. And The Undertaker defeated AJ Styles in the final match, the Boneyard match. And it was 35 minutes and it was very Hollywood. It was like, it was taken from an actual motion, mix, motion picture film. It was dramatic, it had action, some explosion. They pulled no stops for this Boneyard match. And Undertaker defeated AJ Styles. Even though AJ Styles had the assistance of Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, he defeated him in 35 minutes. So that was yesterday's events. Today, on Sunday's edition of WrestleMania 36, we're going to have Liv Morgan versus Natalya, Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair, Brock Lesnar versus Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship, John Cena versus The Fiend Bray Wyatt in a Firefly Fun House match, Bailey versus Lacey Evans versus Naomi versus Sasha Banks versus Tamina in a fatal five-way elimination match for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship, The Street Profits, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford versus Austin Theory and Angel, Angel Garza Angel Garza for the WWE Raw Tag Team Championship, Aleister Black versus Bobby Lashley, Edge versus Randy Orton in a last last man standing match, and Otis versus Dolph Ziggler. So we're halfway into this event. We still have a full list of activities tonight for WrestleMania, and I'm not going to throw it out the window just yet. Because like I said, for what it's worth, the matches themselves weren't bad. Uh, Got to give the props where it's due. Got to give the performance their, the performers their credit for putting on the show. 
even though they do rely on the audience. The audience is a huge part of these events, especially an event like WrestleMania, where you're expecting the applause, where you're expecting the the uproar. Uh, performers feed off of that energy. And the fact that it's not there, uh, you know, and I always give the performers they're just due just for being sports entertainers. These guys get these guys and girls give put their bodies on the line. Their lives in jeopardy sometimes to entertain us. And with everything going on, we're dealing with a pandemic, a worldwide issue here. And the show must go on, damn it. And here they are. And as a lifelong wrestling fan, I appreciate you. As well as millions of others. We appreciate you, Seth Rollins, Brock Lesnar, Bray Wyatt, John Cena, Daniel Bryan, Samoa Joe. Thank you guys. I want to talk about my favorite WrestleMania moments. I watched it religiously in the WWF days from WrestleMania 1 all the way until WrestleMania, let's say 11. Then I kind of dropped off. WrestleMania 11, the main event was Bam Bam Bigelow versus Lawrence Taylor. And my grandmother got that pay-per-view for me. I invited the homies over and we watched it and Lawrence Taylor held it down. He defeated Bam Bam Bigelow in the main event of WrestleMania. And it wasn't the greatest WrestleMania. I wouldn't say it was the worst. I loved WrestleMania 3. Everyone remembers it for Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan. The Unstoppable Force versus the Immovable Object. Hogan, the body slam heard around the world on Andre the Giant to defend his World Heavyweight Championship. That was a great WrestleMania. I also loved and arguably the greatest match ever was on this card. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus Macho Man Randy Savage for the Intercontinental Championship. And it had a lot of turns, had a lot of quick flips. It told a nice story. It might be my second favorite match of all time behind the Hell in the Cell and King of the Ring with Undertaker and Mankind. But WrestleMania 3 was a classic event. I also loved WrestleMania 6. The Ultimate Warrior. The Intercontinental Champion against Hulk Hogan in the main event with the World Heavyweight Championship. The Intercontinental Champion versus the World Heavyweight Champion. And the Toronto Sky Dome, 1990. And the Ultimate Warrior ended up winning that. It was a landmark event. It was the first WrestleMania held outside the United States. That following year, WrestleMania 7, it was a very uh, Gulf War themed event. This was the time when we were dealing with Saudi Arabia. And Sergeant Slaughter became a Iraqi sympathizer a Saudi sympathizer 
and he took the belt from the Ultimate Warrior, that previous Royal Rumble, that year's Royal Rumble in 91, and he was going up against Hulk Hogan. Hogan got his belt back, and then it was on to WrestleMania 8, which featured Hulk Hogan versus Sid Vicious at the time. That was a decent match. Uh, The match that stole the show, in my opinion, was the Bret Hart versus Roddy Roddy Piper match. It was an intercontinental belt, an intercontinental match, and... Bret Hart beat Roddy Piper. It was probably Roddy Piper's best match because Bret Hart is that good. They pushed each other to make it the best match possible. And if Roddy Piper was still alive, he would probably agree that his match versus Bret Hart in WrestleMania 8 was his best match, the best match of his career. WrestleMania 8, it also saw Macho Man's last world title win. He defeated Ric Flair uh, for the world title. And that was a good match in in its own right. But I I really think that the Roddy Piper-Bret Hart match stole the show. Another favorite WrestleMania moment, WrestleMania 14, one of my favorite WrestleManias, the birth of the Stone Cold Steve Austin era. He defeated Shawn Michaels in the main event with Mike Tyson as the guest enforcer. It featured Ken Shamrock versus The Rock in an intercontinental match. It featured the New Age Outlaws versus Chainsaw Charlie and Cactus Jack. And it was the first time Undertaker faced Kane. And Undertaker won. He beat him in 17 minutes. WrestleMania 14. Hands down, one of the best WrestleManias. Stone Cold! Stone Cold! And WrestleMania 18. WrestleMania 18 was the first pay-per-view the first wrestlemania where the wcw performers met with the wwe and the ecw performers and with that we got the rock versus hollywood slash hulk hogan now the rock came down to the ring as a face hogan came down to the ring as a heel halfway through the match hogan was a face And The Rock, he was still a face, but the fact that all the marks were screaming for Hogan to come back as Hulk and not Hollywood, I think that really outshone everything. Now, these are just some of my favorite WrestleMania moments. There's 36 of these things. I have a lot more, but I'm not going to drop all of that right now. Just sharing some of my favorite moments. And here's to many more. The show must go on, damn it.
Today in sports history, in 1915, Jess Willard knocks out Jack Johnson in 26 rounds for the heavyweight boxing title. In 1925, Babe Ruth collapses in North Carolina due to an ulcer. In 1934, baseball superstar Babe Ruth agrees to do three 15-minute broadcasts a week over NBC for a fee of $39,000 for 13 weeks, $4,000 more than his New York Yankees playing contract. 1967, 76er Wilt Chamberlain sets an NBA record for 41 rebounds. In 1972, the regular MLB season fails to open due to a player strike for the first time in history. 86 games are lost before the labor dispute is settled. In 1984, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar breaks Wilt Chamberlain's all-time career scoring record of 31,419 points. In 1987, Wayne Gretzky wins his 7th straight NHL scoring title. In 1990, John Stockton reaches 1,000 assists, marking an NBA record three years in a row. In 1991, Joe Dumars of the Detroit Pistons ends his NBA free throw streak of 62 games. In 1992, WrestleMania 8 is held at the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis. Hulk Hogan defeats Sid Justice by disqualification. Randy Savage beats Ric Flair for the WWF Heavyweight title. And Bret Hart beats Roddy Piper for the Intercontinental. 1993, the 55th NCAA Men's Basketball Championship is held. North Carolina beats Michigan 77-71, Tar Heels third title, infamous for the Weber timeout. In 2004, the 66th NCAA Men's Basketball Championship is held. Connecticut beats Georgia Tech 82-73, Huskies forward Emeka Okafor is named the tournament's most outstanding player. In 2005, the 24th NCAA Women's Basketball Championship is held. Baylor beats Michigan State 84-62. Bears small forward Sophia Young is named Most Outstanding Player. 2010, the 72nd NCAA Men's Basketball Championship is held. Duke beats Butler 61-59. Blue Devils forward Kyle Singler scores 19 points. 2011, the 30th NCAA Women's Basketball Championship is held. Texas A&M beats Notre Dame 76-70. Aggie center Danielle Adams scores 22 of her 30 points in the second half. In 2014, Minnesota manager Ron Gardenhire picks up his 1,000th win of his MLB career as the Twins score a 7-3 victory over the Cleveland Indians. Sons of bitches. And in 2016, the 35th NCAA Women's Basketball Championship is held. Connecticut defeats Syracuse 82-51. Huskies power forward Brianna Stewart scores 24 points. And in 2019, Oklahoma City guard Russell Westbrook becomes the first player in NBA history to average a triple-double for the third consecutive season during the Thunder's 123-110 win at home over the Detroit Pistons. And that was my half-assed sports report. Oh, yes! <laughs> the one with a gun and the icy stare. The one with the scalp of his ex-wife's hair. Psycho Dad. Psycho Dad. Psycho Dad. Married with Children is an American television sitcom that aired on Fox, created by Michael G. Moy and Ron Leavitt, 
Originally broadcast from April 5th, 1987 to June 9th, 1997, it is the longest lasting live action sitcom on Fox and the first to be broadcast in the network's primetime slot. The show follows the suburban Chicago lives of Al Bundy, a once glorious high school football player turned hard luck woman shoe salesman, his lazy wife Peggy, their attractive dumb and popular daughter Kelly, and their smart, horny, and unpopular son Bud. Their neighbors are the upwardly mobile Steve Robes and his wife Marcy, who later gets remarried to Jefferson Darcy, a white-collar criminal who becomes her trophy husband and Al's sidekick. Most storylines involve Al's schemes being foiled by his own cartoonish dimwit and bad luck. The series comprises 259 episodes and 11 seasons. Its theme song is Love and Marriage by Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen, performed by Frank Sinatra from the 1955 television production Our Town. The first two seasons of the series were videotaped at ABC Television Center in Hollywood. From season three to season eight, the show was taped at Sunset Gower Studios in Hollywood, and the remaining three seasons were taped at Sony Picture Studios in Culver City. The series was produced by Embassy Communications during its first season and half of its second season, and the remaining seasons by ELP Communications under the studio Columbia Pictures Television. Some fun facts about Married with Children. The show was created by Norman Lear alums. Married co-creator Michael G. Moyle began his TV career at age 23 on Lear's Good Times, writing nine episodes during the show's last two seasons. He went on to write for Sanford and Son, starring Red Fox, and to write, produce Jefferson's from 1979 until 1984. He and co-creator Ron Leavitt developed Silver Spoons in 1982 and created its spinoff, It's Your Move, in 1984. The latter co-starred David Garrison, whom they would later cast on Married with Children. The co-creator's wife suggested Katie Segal as Peg. In the fall of 1985, Mary Tyler Moore returned to series television with Mary, a sitcom set in Chicago newsroom. Katie Segal played a nasty reporter who chain-smoked and complained all day. Ron Leavitt's wife saw her, co-creator Moy, told the Archive of American Television. She had the cigarette in her mouth all the time, and we thought she would work as Peg. There was a different Kelly and Bud in the pilot. Two different actors were originally cast as the Bundy kids. Kelly was first played by brunette Tina Kaspari who had worked with Leavitt and Moy on Silver Spoons. Bud was played by blonde-haired Hunter Carson, the son of actress Karen Black. Carson was almost two years younger than Faustino, while Casperi was nearly a year older than Applegate. The pilot was reshot with Faustino and Applegate and aired on April 5, 1987. Ed O'Neill was the last lead actor to be hired. We were supposed to tape in two weeks, and we still did not have an Al Bundy, said Moy, who had seen hundreds of actors for the role. The very first thing O'Neill did when he auditioned was stand in front of the front door of the Bundy house and sigh before he even said a word. That sigh is what got Ed O'Neill the part. Moy added that the network wanted someone better known than, but this guy, as, I far, as far as I was concerned, was this character. Ed O'Neill based Al Bundy on his uncle. Most of the guys that read for it were doing it like Jackie Gleason on The Honeymooners, yelling and mad, O'Neill said on The Rich Eisen Show in 2016. O'Neill based his concept for Al on his real-life uncle. My uncle was resigned that life was going to be bad, O'Neill said. He added that then-Fox chairman and CEO Barry Diller loved Seagal as Peggy, but thought they could do a hell of a lot better than O'Neill for Al. 
Married with Children wasn't available nationwide at launch. When the Fox network launched primetime programming, the so-called Fourth Network was not yet available in many cities, including O'Neill's hometown of Youngstown, Ohio. A lot of the country didn't get the show, he said. When I would go home to visit, they would say, how are you doing? What are you up to? Even with the challenges of a startup network, Married with Children overperform. Ratings for the network were minuscule, Moy said, but of all the shows, we had the best. The show was controversial from the start. The powers that be at Fox at the time hated the show, Moy said. This was not the kind of show that they wanted to be the flagship. In season three, the show was hit with the headline-grabbing boycott by anti-obscenity activist Terry Racolta. While the protest briefly spooked some of the advertisers and increased Fox's use of the censorship powers, it ultimately brought in far more viewers than it scared off. Viewership doubled that season, and the show jumped from a dismal 116th in the ratings to 48th. In season five, we meet Al's friend Charlie Verlucci and his handsome but dim son Vinny. Three shows later, in honor of the series' 100th episode, the Verduccis got a backdoor pilot for what became the show's only spinoff, at least so far. Created by Leavitt and Arthur Silver, Top of the Heap debuted a week later, co-starring Rita Moreno and Joey Lauren Adams, who had also appeared on Married with Children. It was canceled after six episodes, but revived a year later as Vinny and Bobby, which was also canceled just as quickly. Also, Married with Children never won an Emmy. More than 30 years after its debut, Married remains one of the longest-running shows in network history to never win an Emmy. Shockingly, none of the actors were even nominated, and O'Neill and Seagal are still without Emmys today, though he's been nominated three times for Modern Family. Amanda Bierce, who played Marcy, became a director. She made her directorial debut in season six and went on to helm 30 more episodes over the next five seasons. Since then, she's directed episodes of Mad TV, Reba, and Dharma and Greg. She also directed two episodes of Christina Applegate's series, Jesse. Married with Children is one of my favorite shows of all time. It's a very monumental show. Uh, I feel like it changed the landscape of how family sitcoms are narrated. And before Married with Children, it was very tongue-in-cheek, it was very Brady Bunch, it was very Ozzy and Harriet, My Three Sons, very Dick Van Dyke, and I love some of those shows. I love Lucy. Everything was good in the household. Everyone got along. Uh, any kind of bickering, it would be done away with by the end of the episode. And then here comes Married with Children, 1987. And... The husband can't stand his wife, never wants to fuck her. The daughter's dumb. She's a blonde. She's a bimbo. She's a slut. And the son is just this nerdy geek. He's just a, a nerdy kid that doesn't get laid, but he's always horny. And they made it work. Hilarity ensued. And all the credit that they give to Roseanne for changing how families are looked at in sitcoms or whatever, Married with Children did it first. Both set in Chicago. And that's not to take away from the greatness of the original Roseanne series, but Married with Children, I always felt like they never got their just due. None of the actors or actresses have ever been nominated throughout that whole tenure. No one in the production crew, no one in the writing. And 
a big part of it is probably because the Academy wasn't ready to nominate Fox for those kind of things at the time. It was still too new. And by the time Married with Children wrapped up, The Simpsons had taken on a life of its own. And then maybe a couple years later in the 2000s, that's when they started becoming more nominated with House, with X-Files and things like that. Um, But yeah, Married with Children, one of the greatest shows of all time. Happy anniversary. Across the lines with the Tiger King, Joe Exotic, and Dingleberry Trump. We'll be black after these messages. In today's birthdays, American wrestler, author, and actress Charlotte Flair turns 34 today. American basketball player Matt Bonnert turns 40. American basketball player Steven Jackson is 42. American actor Sterling K. Brown is 44. American basketball player and coach Shaman Williams is 45. American rapper and producer Juicy J is 45. Singer, songwriter, and rapper Pharrell Williams is 47 today. American wrestler and actor Diamond Dallas Page is 64. American general, politician, and the 65th United States Secretary of State, Colin Powell, is 83 today. American actor, director, producer, and screenwriter, Roger Corman, is 93. You got nothing to do this Sunday. Come to my house. Quarantine House Party 2020 all day. It's gonna be some barbecue. Peanut and them gonna be out there at the grill. We gonna have some hamburgers, some steaks, hot dogs. Um, uh, we gonna be playing space. We gonna be playing some dominoes. Uh, it's gonna be some music. Niggas gonna be having some liquor, we gonna be passing the bottle around. Uh, we gonna be passing the blood around. And shit, yeah, breaks and willows. Quarantine party 2020 Mash mode, no breaks. Yeah. Grinding for a slice of pie. I'm trying to stack this cake. Okay. Whole time you by my side, but yet my eyes stay straight. And you just let me do my thing. Oh yeah, your knees gonna wait. But my wants was never paused, and you enforced that law. Right. Did me right despite the fact I did you wrong by far. I mean I never would have made it with another love. 
you the shit I mean the pad is in this mother For real I'm talking about a dream come true yeah. It seemed like we was lovey-dovey out the blue Like out of nowhere, right? And you the realest deal Cause the way you making me feel You're making me feel Like I could rule the world Like, I could rule the world. like you were the only girl like I was the only man And for you I'm thinking I can I'm thinking I can Love a little better I could love a little better than I do I'm thinking I could love a little better Yeah, I could love a little better than I do Oh, 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 I, I Better than I do Oh, 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 I, I Better than I do Oh, 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 I Love better than I do Listen, I don't see how you do it Cause if the shoe was on the other foot I'd just say that you blew it But yet and still you know my love been in it from the start And see these days it's hard to find a nigga with a heart But it's a few and you deserve the creme de la creme Feeling like a queen without a country when you with him And him should be me, Mr. Slim with the key Unlock your soul, relax your mind and let your conscience be free like I said, baby girl, you a dream come true It seemed like we was lovey-dovey out the blue Like out of nowhere, huh? And you the realest deal Cause the way you making me feel You're making me feel Like I could rule the world Like you were the only girl Like I was the only man And for you I'm thinking I can I'm thinking I can Thinking I could love a little better I could love a little better than I do Love a little better yeah. I could love a little better than I do Oh, 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 I, I Better than I do Oh, 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 I, I Better than I do Oh, 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 I A little better than I do Special mention to those no longer with us. This past Wednesday, we lost Ellis Marcellus Jr. Born Ellis Lewis Marcellus Jr. November 14, 1934, in New Orleans, Louisiana, he was an American jazz pianist and educator. Active since the late 1940s, Marcellus came to greater attention in the 1980s and 1990s as the patriarch of a musical family, with sons Branford and Winton also becoming notable musicians. Marsalis played saxophone during high school, but switched to piano while studying classical music at Dillard University, graduating in 1955. He later attended graduate school at Loyola University, New Orleans. In the 1950s and 1960s, he worked with Ed Blackwell, Cannonball Adderley, Nat Adderley, and Al Hurt. During the 1970s, he taught at the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. His students have included Terrence Blanchard, Harry Connick Jr., Donald Harrison, Kent Jordan, Marlon Jordan, and Nicholas Payton. 
As a teacher, he encouraged his students to learn from history while also making discoveries in music on their own. We don't teach jazz, we teach students, he once said about his ability to teach jazz improvisation. As a leading educator at the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, the University of New Orleans and Xavier University of Louisiana, Marsalis influenced the careers of countless musicians, as well as his four musician sons, Witten, Branford, Delfio, and Jason. Marcellus retired from UNO in 2001. In May 2007, Marcellus received honorary doctorate from Tulane University for his contributions to jazz and the musical education. On April 1, 2020, Marcellus died at the age of 85 from pneumonia brought on by COVID-19, better known as the coronavirus. On that same day, we lost Adam Schlesinger. Born Adam Lyon Schlesinger on October 31, 1967, in New York City, he was an American singer, songwriter, record producer, bassist, guitarist, keyboardist, and drummer. He won three Emmy Awards, a Grammy Award, and an ASCAP Pop Music Award, and was nominated for Academy, Tony, and Golden Globe Awards. He was a founding member of the bands Fountains of Wayne, Ivy, and Tinted Windows, and was a key songwriting contributor and producer for Brooklyn-based synth-pop duo Fever High. Schlesinger grew up in Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. His music has been featured in films such as Shallow Hell, Robots, There's Something About Mary, Me, Myself, and Irene, Josie and the Pussycats, Scary Movie, Art School Confidential, Fever Pitch, The Manchurian Candidate, Because of Winn-Dixie, Orange County, Two Weeks Notice, and others. Schlesinger was nominated for an Academy Award and a Golden Globe Award in 1997 for writing the title track of the Tom Hanks-directed film, That Thing You Do, also contributing two other songs for the film. Fountains of Wayne was nominated for two Grammy Awards in 2003 for Best New Artist and Best Pop Performance by a duo or a group with vocals for Stacy's Mom. Schlesinger received two Tony nominations in 2008 for Best Musical and Best Original Score for the musical Crybaby. They also received a 2009 Emmy nomination for Outstanding Music and Lyrics for their song Much Worse Things, performed by Elvis Costello and Stephen Colbert on the television special and album A Colbert Christmas, The Greatest Gift of All. The album co-written by Schlesinger and, and David Javerbaum and co-produced by Schlesinger and Stephen M. Gold won the 2009 Grammy Award for Best Comedy Album. Schlesinger received a 2013 Daytime Emmy nomination for Outstanding Original Song for his Elmo the Musical theme for Sesame Street. He and Molly Boylan received a 2011 Daytime Emmy nomination for the song I Wonder from Sesame Street. Schlesinger received a 2012 Emmy Award for Outstanding Music and Lyrics for their song It's Not Just for Gays Anymore, performed by Neil Patrick Harris as the opening number for the 65th Tony Awards telecast and a 2013 Emmy Award for Outstanding Music and Lyrics for their song If I Had Time, performed by Neil Patrick Harris as the closing number of the 66th Tony Awards telecast. Schlesinger received two 2016 Emmy nominations for his work on the CW series Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics for Settle For Me, co-written with Rachel Bloom and Jack Dolgen, an Outstanding Main Title Theme, co-written with Rachel Bloom. He received a 2017 Emmy nomination for Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics for We Tap That Ass, co-written with Rachel Bloom and Jack Dolgen from the CW series Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. 
He won the 2019 Emmy Award for Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics for Antidepressants Are So Not a Big Deal and was nominated for Outstanding Original Main Title Theme Music for Meet Rebecca, Season 4 Theme from Crazy Ex-Girlfriends. On April 1st, 2020, Schlesinger died of COVID-19 complications at a hospital in Poughkeepsie, New York, amid a coronavirus pandemic in the United States. He was 52. He had been hospitalized and placed on a ventilator over a week prior to his death. Frank Gorshin was an American character actor, impressionist, and comedian. Born Frank John Gorshin Jr. on April 5, 1933, he was perhaps best known as an impressionist with many guest appearances on The Ed Sullivan Show and Tonight starring Steve Allen. His most famous acting role was as the Riddler on the live-action television series Batman, a performance for which he was nominated for an Emmy Award. Gorson's final live performance was a Memphis performance of Say Goodnight Gracie, in which he portrayed George Burns. He finished the performance and boarded a plane for Los Angeles on April 25, 2005. After he experienced severe breathing difficulty during the flight, the crew administered emergency oxygen. An ambulance met the plane upon landing and transported him to a Burbank hospital, where he died on May 17, 2005 at age 72 from lung cancer complicated by emphysema and pneumonia. Gorsha had been a heavy smoker for most of his adult life, consuming up to five packs of cigarettes a day. Adam West once claimed that Gorshin could reduce a cigarette to ash with one draw. When he did nightclub performances or live shows, audiences were warned not to attend if they disliked smoking, as he often smoked on stage. He is interred at Calvary Catholic Cemetery in the Hazelwood section of Pittsburgh. Christopher Hewitt was a British actor and theater director. Born Christopher Michael Hewitt on April 5, 1921 in Worthing, Sussex, England, he was best known for his role as Lynn Aloysius Belvedere on the ABC sitcom Mr. Belvedere. A devout Catholic and a lifelong bachelor, Hewitt served at St. Victor's Church in West Hollywood. During his later years, he suffered from arthritis and diabetes. Hewitt died on August 3, 2001 at his Los Angeles home from complications of diabetes. He was 80 years old. Gregory Peck was an American actor. Born Eldridge Gregory Peck on April 5, 1916 in San Diego, California, he was one of the most popular film stars from the 1940s to the 1960s. Peck received five nominations for Academy Award for Best Actor and won once for his performance as Atticus Finch in the 1962 drama film To Kill a Mockingbird. Peck's other Oscar-nominated roles are in The Keys of the Kingdom, 1944, the Yearling in 1946, Gentleman's Agreement the following year, 1947, and 12 O'Clock High in 1949. Other notable films which he appeared include Spellbound, The Gunfighter, Roman Holiday, Moby Dick, The Big Country, The Guns of Navarone, Cape Fear, How the West Was Won, The Omen, and The Boys from Brazil. U.S. President Lyndon Johnson honored Peck with the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1969 for his lifetime humanitarian efforts. In 1999, the American Film Institute named Peck among the greatest male stars of classic Hollywood cinema, ranking him at number 12. On June 12, 2003, Peck died in his sleep from bronchopneumonia at the age of 87 at his home in Los Angeles. His wife, Veronique, was by his side. Betty Davis was an American actress of film, television, and theater. Born Ruth Elizabeth Davis on April 5, 1908 in Lowell, Massachusetts, 
She has a career spanning over 60 years and 100 acting credits. She is regarded as one of the greatest actresses in Hollywood history. She was noted for playing unsympathetic, sardonic characters and was famous for her performances in a range of film genres, from contemporary crime melodramas to historical films, suspense horror, and occasional comedies, although her greater successes were in romantic dramas. A recipient of two Academy Awards, she was the first thespian to garner 10 nominations. In 1983, after filming the pilot episode for the television series Hotel, Davis was diagnosed with breast cancer and underwent a mastectomy. Within two weeks of her surgery, she suffered four strokes which caused paralysis in the left side of her face and in her left arm and left her with slurred speech. She commenced a lengthy period of physical therapy and aided by her personal assistant, Catherine Cermak, gained partial recovery from the paralysis. Even late in life, Davis smoked 100 cigarettes per day. During this time, her relationship with her daughter, B.D. Hyman, deteriorated when Hyman became a born-again Christian and attempted to persuade Davis to follow suit. With her health stable, she traveled to England to film the Agatha Christie mystery, Murder with Mirrors. Upon her return, she learned that Hyman had published My Mother's Keeper, in which she chronicled a difficult mother-daughter relationship and depicted scenes of Davis' overbearing and drunken behavior. Several of Davis' friends commented that Hyman's depiction of events was not accurate, one said. So much of the book is out of context. Mike Wallace rebroadcast a 60 Minutes interview in which he filmed Hyman a few years earlier, in which he commended Davis on her skills as a mother, as a mother and said that she had adopted many of Davis's principles in raising her own children. Critics of Hyman noted that Davis financially supported the Hyman family for several years and recently saved them from losing their house. Despite the acrimony of their divorce years earlier, Gary Merrill also defended Davis. Interviewed by CNN, Merrill said that Hyman was motivated by cruelty and greed. Davis's adopted son, Michael Merrill, ended contact with Hyman and refused to speak to her again, as did Davis, who disinherited her. In her second memoir, This and That, Davis wrote, I am still recovering from the fact that a child of mine would write about me behind my back to say nothing about the kind of book it is. I will never recover as completely from Beattie's book as I have from the stroke. Both were shattering experiences. Her memoir concluded with a letter to her daughter in which she addressed her several times as Hyman and described her actions as a glaring lack of loyalty and thanks for the very privileged life I feel you have been given. She concluded with a reference to the title of Hyman's book. If it refers to money, if my memory serves me right, I've been your keeper all these many years. I am continuing to do so as my name has made your book about me a success. Davis appeared in the television film As Summers Die and in Lindsay Anderson's film The Wells of August, in which she played the blind sister of Lillian Gish. Though in poor health at the time, Davis memorized her own and everyone else's lines as she always had. The film earned good reviews with one critic writing, Betty crawls across the screen like a testy old hornet on a window pane, snarling, staggering, twitching, a symphony of misfired synapses. Davis became an honoree of the Kennedy Center Honors for her contribution to films in 1987. Her last performance was the title role in Larry Cohen's Wicked Stepmother in 1989. By this time, her health was failing, and after disagreements with Cohen, she walked off the set. The script was rewritten to place more emphasis on Barbara Carrera's character, and the reworked version was released after Davis's death. After abandoning Wicked Stepmother and with no further film offers, Davis appeared on several talk shows and was interviewed by Johnny Carson, Joan Rivers, Larry King, and David Letterman discussing her career, but refusing to discuss her daughter. 
Her appearances were popular. Lindsay Anderson observed that the public enjoyed seeing her behaving so bitchy. I always disliked that because she was encouraged to behave badly, and I'd always hear her described by that awful word, feisty. During 1988 and 1989, Davis was honored for her career achievements, receiving the Kennedy Center Honor, the Legion of Honor from France, the Campaign d'Italia from Italy, and the Film Society of Lincoln Center Lifetime Achievement Award. She appeared on British television in a special broadcast from the South Bank Center, discussing film and her career, and the other guests being the renowned Russian director, Andrei Tarkovsky. Davis collapsed during the American Cinema Awards in 1989 and later discovered that her cancer had returned. She recovered sufficiently to travel to Spain, where she was honored at a film festival, but during her visit, her health rapidly deteriorated. Too weak to make the long journey back to the U.S., she traveled to France, where she died on October 6, 1989, at 11.35, at the American Hospital in Nuit-sur-Seine. Davis was 81 years old. A memorial tribute was held by invitation only at a Burbank studio stage 18 where a work light was turned on signaling the end of production. Rest easy y'all. Joe Exotic was born Joseph Allen Schriebwagel on March 5, 1963, in Garden City, Kansas. He is a former owner and operator of the Greater Wynwood Exotic Animal Park in Oklahoma. Exotic had claimed to be the most prolific breeder of tigers in the United States. He twice unsuccessfully ran for public office, running for governor of Oklahoma in 2018 as a libertarian, and before that, President of the United States in 2016 as an independent, despite having no background in politics whatsoever. However, despite having no background in politics whatsoever, however, that very election in 2016 would be won by someone who also had no background or experience in politics, none other than Donald John Trump. And that leads us to Across the Lines. He would step across the line. Habitually. He's a habitual line stepper. Line stepper. According to an article in The Guardian, written by Adrian Horton, Tiger King, U.S. President, Trevor Noah explains how Joe Exotic and Trump are the same. On Monday's Daily Social Distancing Show, Trevor Noah discussed the only story that everybody's talking about right now, Tiger King the new Netflix series that's somehow even more viral than COVID-19. The five-hour docuseries taking over conversations across America is the most fascinating show you've ever seen, said Noah. It exposes the sordid and loopy world of exotic animal breeding in America, while also answering the question, what would happen if meth smoked itself? After binging all seven episodes this week, Noah emerged with a few realizations. One, this is what happens when white people have no black friends, he said. And two, Joe Exotic is not only one of the weirdest people you will ever meet in your life, he could also be President of the United States. Joe Exotic, the star of the series, has all of the character traits of a Commander-in-Chief, Noah explained, such as the fact that he makes everything about himself, and that like Donald Trump, he's self-absorbed, he's disorganized, he's obsessed with conspiracy theories. 
But maybe the most presidential thing about Joe Exotic is that he loves portraying himself as an expert in his field, when the truth is, he has no idea what he's talking about. He's just winging it, which again, should feel very familiar. Noah said before video of the president in a recent press conference attempting to sow confusion over what coronavirus is. So look, I know Joe Exotic is in prison right now, Noah concluded, but if he ever somehow manages to get out, I'm hoping that he becomes president of the United States. Because yes, yes, he might be just as crazy as Trump, but at least if he's in the White House, we're going to see tigers. In another article, in another article from The Decider, written by Claire Spellberg, Meghan McCain says Tiger King explains how Trump became president. Joe Exotic is a folk hero. Tiger King's Joe Exotic may not have won the 2016 presidential election or the Oklahoma governorship, but Meghan McCain still believes in his political savvy. On Thursday morning, The View co-host professed her love for the Tiger King star and former zoo owner, who she insisted has become a folk hero, despite his criminal background. McCain added that the Netflix docuseries helps explain Trump's popularity, particularly when you consider Joe Exotic's ability to connect to Americans in rural states. It explains how Trump became president, she said of the Tiger King. McCain has been tweeting about Tiger King for weeks. Yes, she believes Carol Baskin killed her husband, but this morning she finally got to bring her thoughts to the View's national audience. I can't stop watching this, she told her co-host. I watched it entirely, and now I'm starting to watch it all over again. The conservative firebrand explained that while the docuseries subject Joe Exotic has committed a lot of crimes and is ethically nebulous, she can't get enough of him. I'm one of the people who's fallen in love with him, she said. I considered signing a petition to have President Trump pardon him, but that just must be out of how obscenely bored I am in my house right now. But according to McCain, Tiger King is much more than just a cure to isolation-induced boredom. Tiger King explains Trump very well, she said, adding that it showcases the demographic of people that voted him into office. It's easy to forget that, you know, so much of this country is obviously in the middle and enjoy going to exotic tiger parks, no matter how disgusting it looks from the outside. Sounds about white. And that was Across the Lines. Line step. Today in entertainment history, in 1965, the 37th Academy Awards are held. My Fair Lady, Rex Harrison, and Julie Andrews are the winners. In 1987, Fox TV Network premieres showing Married with Children and The Tracy Ullman Show, who would introduce us to The Simpsons. In 1989, David Letterman becomes the first network TV series to use Dolby Stereo. In 1994, the short-lived comedy South Central premieres on Fox. In 1996, Marlon Brando makes anti-Semitic remarks about Hollywood on Larry King. In 1997, Steve Irwin's The Crocodile Hunter debuts. In 2010, the cartoon series Adventure Time premieres on Cartoon Network. And in 2017, the Pepsi ad featuring Kendall Jenner is pulled after criticized for trivializing demonstrations. So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Let's stay home, but let's stay woke, people. Men lie, women lie, but numbers don't.
the state of Louisiana is climbing the ranks and has almost doubled the amount of coronavirus cases than that of New York. As of Sunday, they reported 12,400 cases with over 400 deaths. Let's stay clean and quarantine. I love y'all. Thank you. Take care. Ohio!